Father, as we come in Jesus' name and through his blood, we just thank you for an open heaven. We thank you for your glory here. And Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving mightily during this time that everyone's going to be hearing this or watching. Father, we thank you that by the Spirit of God moving upon all of us to help us to have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives to just be kind of focused on you right now. Lord, I thank you by the Spirit, the anointing, that everyone will just be captivated, give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus to what you're saying through the Word, that we would have eyes and ears of the Spirit and be good soil. And Lord, I thank you for speaking to me everything that needs to be said under a mighty anointing, and it'll go out into good soils, living seeds of truth, sown into that good soil, watered by the Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And I thank you, Lord, for the winds of your Spirit blowing to carry this everywhere it's supposed to go and accomplish what it's supposed to. And we thank you for it now. We expect it, and we know the birds of the air try to steal the seeds. So, Lord, we submit this unto you. We resist the devil. We must flee. We bind anything in Jesus' name. They would try to hinder, distract, resist, or oppress this in any way. We commit to be bound and go from this time. And everyone that's going to be listening, we bind the enemy right now in Jesus' name. We break his power. And, Lord, we stand on the promise your word will never return void. It will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So, Lord, we thank you for it. We believe it. We expect it as we agree together. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, well, tonight I'm going to finish up a series I've been doing called Paranormal. This is part six. Six. We're going to talk about entryways. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about how do demons enter and just kind of deal with some things. In this series, we've been talking about a lot of controversial things, things probably you won't hear too many places. But there's a lot of people out there that have questions, and the church needs to provide the answers. And if we're not preaching on certain subjects that the Bible talks clearly about, we're just unwilling to deal with things that are controversial. The sad thing is, is a lot of people will start finding their answers in the wrong places. And so God has not called us to be cowardly. He's called us to speak the truth. And also I would say, uh, I preached on this early on, but the Bible gives us the clear scripture in Ephesians where it says, don't participate in deeds of darkness, but expose them. So we do have a mandate to expose the deeds of darkness, okay? So this is how I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to do this tonight. We've, we've dealt with, you know, Lucifer. We've dealt with the demonic. We've dealt with all these, the occult, all these different subjects. And um, I want to end this series by talking about entryways, how does the enemy gain entrance into people's lives or families or whatever? And so let's look at this tonight. How do demons enter? We're going to start with Ecclesiastes 10, verse 8. And it's kind of an obscure scripture to many, but it says this, One who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite one who breaks through a wall. So I want you to think about that for a moment. A serpent may bite one, who breaks through a wall. When you start sticking your hand places, it doesn't need to be. Amen. Next thing you know, there can be problems. So there's guidelines in the scriptures. God's given us do's and don'ts for a reason. Amen. You know, some people I know that I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak, in River of Life, but you'd be surprised how many people in this, this last day generation have, have kind of a rebellious aspect to them, and they don't like the do's and don'ts. I'm just telling you. But Ephesians 4.17, let me just read this scripture to you. 4.17, I'm going to go through 32, and I'm going to show you something in here. So again, let me, let me go back to Ecclesiastes. If you break through a wall, if God's put some type of a boundary there where he says, don't do this, or don't go there, or don't cross this. I've I've placed this here for a reason. When you start going outside of those protective boundaries of the Scripture, you're liable to get bit by a serpent. So God gives us warnings. Protection is in that. So Ephesians 4.17, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. He's talking about the heathen. Everybody say, the heathen which we all used to be, but God has called us out of that. He says, don't live as the heathen out there live in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. 
excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Do you see all this? There's ignorance of the ways of God. Their, their mind doesn't know God's ways. They're not acquainted with what pleases God and what displeases him. They live excluded from that. They're ignorant. They're kind of in darkness. They're groping in spiritual darkness. Their hearts are hard. And it says they've become callous and given themselves over to sensuality and the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So and because they don't know God, they just do whatever feels good, whatever they want to do, their flesh wants. They want to go out and get drunk. They want to sleep around, whatever they want to do. They just go out and do that. And it says they practice every kind of impurity with greediness, okay? But verse 20 says, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. Everybody say, truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. How many, I remember Steve Hill used to preach the death of Mr. Me. We, we've got to die to that old self. You know, I, people that maybe knew me, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they don't really know me because once I gave my life to the Lord and changed, I mean, it was a really radical change. They remember the old me that has been crucified in Christ. They don't really know the new me that's been resurrected to new life. And I've tried to explain this to some people, but I just, you, you almost like maybe you have to experience it to get it. But how many knows that some of the old sinful things that you used to crave, you just don't crave them anymore? See, they don't understand that. I've tried to tell them because to them in their mind, Christianity is only this. This is all Christian, Christianity is to them, a boring set of rules. And I've tried to explain to them, no, it's a relationship. And see, just like, for example, I'm married to my wife, and there's, there's things that I don't do that may upset her and things she doesn't do that may upset me. Why? Because we love each other, you see. Once you have this relationship with God and you really know him, the old things pass away and everything becomes new. It's different. You have new desires. And so as we look at this, it says, you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and been taught in him, Jesus, or just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So there is a putting off of your old and a putting on of the new. Therefore, lay aside, look at this. So he gives us some do's and don'ts here. And this is going somewhere tonight with giving place to demons, okay? It says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So in other words, he's saying, look, you used to lie, quit lying. And then it says this. It says, be angry, but do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. So he's saying there, you may get angry about some things. How many knows we all get angry about some things? Anger in and of itself isn't a sin, but it's when you're angry a lot of times that you can sin. <laughs> How many knows, oh man, you guys know I'm preaching the truth now. Because see, you can get angry and that's okay, but once you get angry, if you're not careful, you're going to start saying things and doing things that you're going to end up apologizing for later on, right? So he's saying here, be angry, but don't sin in that anger. And then he also says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know what? You know how I take that? Don't ever go to bed ever without making sure you forgive people. And also, if you've been in a fight in your household, make sure you talk about it and kind of get it resolved before you go to sleep. And that can be annoying sometimes. But how many knows that it's better to sleep in peace and have every door to the devil shut, not having any problems, you go to bed, resolving all those issues under the blood of Jesus, forgiving everybody, and it just keeps the enemy at bay. But when you, when you have these big fights, people lose their temper, things are said, you're, you're angry at each other, there's unforgiveness, and then you go to sleep like that, man, that's not a good way to go to sleep because your home is vulnerable for the enemy to try to walk in and start really causing problems. 
So he says here, don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, this is what I wanted to get to tonight right here, but let me finish the passage and then I'm gonna explain this scripture, okay? Do not give the devil an opportunity. As it continues on, let him who steals, steal no longer. So Paul says, you know, you used to steal things, quit stealing, but rather let him labor, performing his own, uh, with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with those who are in need. So in other words, we work, we earn our own way, but our motive there is, is that we're thinking about how can I be a blessing to God's kingdom and to other people? You see, that's a beautiful motive right there. And then verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. In other words, he's saying, to guard your mouth. How many knows there's a lot of things in a lot of situations, a lot of times that just don't need to be said? All of a sudden, we want to start talking about people behind their back. And I mean, some people just really are given to that, just, just trying to bring things up and try to talk about things. But he's saying, just don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. In verse 30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, <clears throat> considering grieving the Holy Spirit, how many knows the Holy Spirit, once we accept Jesus as our Savior, the Father is in heaven, what the Bible calls the third heaven. The Son of God is at his right hand ever living to make intercession, but we need Jesus as our intercessor, amen? But I'm gonna tell you, the best friend you've got in this life is the Holy Spirit living in you and with you. And so what the Bible's saying here is whatever you do, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And I remember, I'll never forget, I believe it was the very first time that I was ever able to go to the Brownsville Revival. And I'll never forget because Steve did a lot of illustrated sermons, which I really enjoyed. But in this particular sermon, you know, he had this little lamp and he lit it. And he had them dim the lights in the place. And so on the platform, that little light became really bright and really noticeable. And that was like the move of God in your life. And he talked about grieving and quenching and resisting the Holy Spirit. And he was saying, this is the move of God in your life, this flame. And then he blew it out. And all of a sudden, everything became dark. And he said, whatever you do, don't resist, don't grieve, and don't quench the Holy Ghost in your life, okay? So I never forgot that. And, I, and this reminds me of that as I read this, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How many have ever done something or, or you knew you said something and you'd accepted Christ and, and as soon as you did something or said something, you walked away and all of a sudden you were so grieved on the inside that you knew you were convicted and you knew the Holy Spirit said that was wrong and you felt it in you. How many have ever felt that? If you've never felt that, then you probably never got saved. So it's a good thing that you feel that because we need that. And I'll never forget hearing my wife's testimony as she was talking about, you know, she accepted Christ as her Savior, but her family had nothing to do with God. So she had no, no um, Bible teaching. There was no preacher in the back of her head. How many of you guys grew up in church? <laughs> you know there's that preacher in the back of your head, right? You know what I'm talking about. You hear that? Yeah. Just like tonight, I'm, I'm talking about certain things. I'm going, I remember when Brother Steve said this. You got that preacher. But my wife didn't have any of that. No Bible knowledge, never read. The only exposure to anything to do with Jesus and God's word was that, that secular movie called Jesus Christ Superstar which was not really a good depiction of the Lord, but that's the only Jesus that she was introduced to. But you know what? Even in that state, when she accepted Jesus as her Savior, what happens is, is the Holy Spirit, he comes to live inside of you. And so she was born again. And so all of a sudden, without any type of knowledge or understanding, she began to feel guilty and convicted about certain things. She's like, I need to quit doing this. I need to get away from these people. I need to get away from this. This is no longer right. And gradually, systematically, the Holy Spirit began a process of sanctification in her life. But see, that's the work of the Holy Ghost. 
And that's what he does. The Bible, and, and I believe it was Peter that wrote about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God did through my life. I accepted the Lord really truly. I grew up in church, but I didn't, I would say I never really truly knew the Lord really. I knew about the Lord. I was around him. I knew who he was. I'd had encounters with God's power. I'd seen things. I'd felt things. I'd experienced things. But I had to come to an end of myself. And I had to be brought to a place where it was no longer the God of my fathers, but he was my God. And I had to truly accept the Lord in January 95. And when I did, God began that process in me. But I'll never forget when I went to Brownsville and I was baptized in the Holy Ghost in fire in a fresh and awesome way. I mean a fire of the Holy Ghost I'd never been around. God set me ablaze where I began to be so hungry for the things of God. And, and, I, and all of the junk in my life began to come up. It wasn't really a bad thing, but it seemed like a bad thing. It seemed like all this junk began to come up in my life, but you know what God was doing? As gold refined in the fire, God was causing all the impurities to come up so that he could skim them out. And so the Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So God wants us to turn from all of that pollution and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as in God, uh, I'm sorry, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So the Bible says there, just as God forgives you and you want God to forgive you, you need to forgive other people. Now that's a whole other level of forgiveness. When we think of it that way, how do we want God to forgive us? That's how we need to forgive others, you see. All right, so Paul gives us all of this instruction here. But you know what he's showing us in verse 27? Do not give the devil an opportunity. So in that, I looked up the word opportunity, Strong's reference 5117. It's the word topos in the Greek. And it means this. It means like a spot or like a location. It actually means like an occupancy. So the picture that's painted here is this. Don't allow the door to be open to the devil where he begins to walk in and take up a residence. Did y'all just hear what I said? Because that's what that word implies. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Topos in the Greek implies that a door is opened and now the enemy has walked through a door that was open to him, and now he has taken up residence there. I wonder how many people, without even realizing it through their sinful past that all of us have come out of, but how many people without, in, you know, obviously intentionally doing it, dabbled in the occult, dabbled in the drugs and alcohol and tobacco. They, they dabbled in the sexual immorality, and they didn't realize it at the time, but they literally opened a door for demons in their life. And now their personalities changed. There's a hardness about them. They're stubborn and rebellious, and there's something there that's hindering them. I wonder how many family bloodlines, you can look at the entire bloodline and there's issues throughout there that it plagues the family. I mean, people that don't even know each other really, they're related by blood, yet they share the same problems. It's the craziest thing because I've seen this. And it's like something plagues the bloodline. Let me tell you something. If you go up the bloodline, you can find that there was somebody somewhere that opened the door to the devil, to that family. The enemy came in, and now he's, he's infested that family. In the same way, people don't necessarily intentionally do it, but by things that maybe they bring into a home or things that, they, that have happened in a home where sin is, they don't realize it, but they've opened the door to demonic spirits to come into a home. And same thing with land, like geography. There's things that have happened on particular pieces of a land that's, that what happened there, the murder, the bloodshed, whatever it was, opened the door, and now there's something there. See, I talked about last week, I believe, or the week before, but I talked about 
how the land would vomit people out. Do you remember that? You know what happens? See, things come into the land that's demonic, and the people that live there are tormented. And it ends up, the torment ends up driving, it ends up that the land vomits them out, you see. Have you ever heard the stories, and I've seen many of these because my, my wife and I have a ministry where we deal some with deliverance and where people have moved into homes and all these crazy things start happening. What Many times what happens is, is the people leave. It's almost like the home vomited them out. They couldn't stand anymore. They're tormented. There's just too much going on there. Does this make sense? So if you look back, you'll find that somewhere somebody opened the door to the devil. The key to dealing with deliverance of any kind, if you want to get a person delivered, generational deliverance, uh, the deliverance of a home or whatever, if you can say it that way, expelling things out, you always need to go back and find where was the door opened and what opened it. Was it messing around with witchcraft? Was it messing around with other religions? Was it sexual immorality? Any sex outside of marriage is sexual immorality. Was that what was opened the door? But see, once that door is open, I've shared different stories. I'll give one real quick, give a, kind of an example. But I was preaching along these lines one time, and, and a, a young lady, I would say college age, came up to me afterward and said, Brother Scott, I need to talk to you. And she said, I want to, she said, people would think I'm crazy. But since you preached on this, she said, I feel like I could talk to you about this. I need your advice and some help. And she was kind of not wanting anybody else to hear the conversation. But she said she had moved into an apartment. And she said, to be honest, she said, I've never in my life ever had any type of weird sexual inclinations that were homosexual at all. But she said, I moved into this apartment. All of a sudden at night, I'm tormented by these dreams sexual dreams, in particular homosexual dreams. And she said, I've never had this before, but she said, after hearing you preach on this, she said, I think that there's something that's in that apartment. And she said, let me tell you why I think that. Because the previous people that were in the apartment were lesbians. And she said, I'm in there now. And she said, I don't, I've never had this inclination. But you see, what happens is, is that sexual immorality opened the door for something in that apartment. Now, as a Christian, she has a, she, she's renting that apartment. She has the right to be there, and she has authority over the demonic. So all she's got to do is go through and really pr pray that the blood of Jesus cleanse that, that apartment and then say, God, ask forgiveness for the things that have been here and let the blood of Jesus wash this. She can go through an anointing, and then she command everything of the enemy to leave. In particular, if you know what it is, speak directly to it. In this case, say, I bind a spirit of homosexuality, and I command you to leave this apartment right now in Jesus' name and drive it out, you see. And then all she's got to do is just keep that place holy and a place of worship and prayer. And what used to be an oppressed atmosphere will become a glorious atmosphere. So we have authority over these things, but it's the same with anybody. I remember there was a, a sweet lady that had come to us. I mean, my wife and I have tons of stories like this, but this sweet lady, I believe she was from the New Orleans area, African-American lady, precious. And, and we, were, we were meeting with several different people and sitting with them, and we were just simply walking them through. Now, we were doing like a deliverance questionnaire because it saves time. People fill it out, and then we can see through the questionnaire, we can say, okay, well, this is, this is where you've opened doors, you see. And so what we're going to do is the blood of Jesus is going to shut those doors, and we're going to command the enemy to go because now you're repenting of this. And so we were walking people through it and a, a lot of things. And Cindy, you may remember this, but this lady was sitting there, and I could tell when she came in, she'd accepted the Lord, but she was just kind of like, okay, you know, but she's like, but I did get involved in some things, but she didn't seem like she really necessarily believed in deliverance per se or whatever. And all of a sudden, something rose up within her, and it scared her. And she's like, man, this is real. And that thing left, that thing left her, and she felt so free after that. You see, at some point in her life, she opened the door. And that's the thing. God's given us parameters around our lives. He says, if you used to lie, quit lying. If you used to steal, quit stealing. He's saying stay away from sexual immorality. Don't even look with lust. 
stay away from all these uh, drugs, alcohol, tobacco, these substances. The Bible talks about drunkards. That's kind of that category, okay? Idolatry, the occult. And you know what? God's up there just simply trying to protect us, isn't he? How many of you guys have had kids that you told them, say, hey, I'm just trying to help you out here, but you want to stay away from this, that, and the other? And then when they didn't stay away from this, that, and the other, they got hurt. One of the very first lessons I learned as a little bitty kid, I don't even remember how old I was. I mean, I, this was probably, I was probably like five. One of the very first lessons I ever learned, and mom might remember this, but this was back when uh, she was at home with us and dad was at work, but she told us to quit messing around with the scissors. Well, I didn't, and I remember cutting myself pretty good. And she was in there cleaning up my hands and bandaging up. I remember her telling me, I told you to quit playing with the scissors. Now, was she trying to be mean, telling me to quit playing with the scissors, or was she just trying to protect me from cutting myself? See, so just like parents try to look out for their kids, in the same way God is trying to say, if you stick your hand through this protective wall, you're probably going to get bit. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10, but whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. If for indeed what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ in order that, look at this, no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. The story behind that was in 1 Corinthians, Paul told them there was a man in the church that was having sex outside of marriage and Paul told him, said, you have to kick him out of the church. He's living in unrepentant sexual sin, and it's an abomination. In fact, it, Paul was pretty stern about it. He said, hand him over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh. You remember reading this? And so they did that. They kicked him out. But then the guy was really remorseful, repented, and he totally turned around. He, he truly repented. And now in 2 Corinthians, Paul is telling them, look, receive him back into your fellowship because he's repented, okay? As if God's forgiving, I remember Brother John Davis told me one time, and I love this. He said, we don't need to be harder on people than God is. Think about that. How many times have we been harder on people than God has? But the guy was repentant, and Paul said, look, if he's really repentant, let him back in the fellowship, you know, and forgive him. And that's what he's saying here. He says, you need to forgive this guy. And if you forgive him, I, I forgive him. And he said, look at this, in order that no advantage is taken of us, and we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. So Paul's saying there that, look, you better be careful that we walk in forgiveness because the, we're not ignorant here. The devil can use that unforgiveness. And here's what's so important. I'm kind of going somewhere with this. Where there is a church that is simply under authority, that we're walking under authority. When I go places and minister and I, I preach for another pastor, I go somewhere, I come up under that authority. If they want certain things to happen and they don't want other things to happen, I'm simply operating under authority. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's so important. I hope everybody hears me with this. Wherever there's a church that's under authority, submitted to authority, and there's a church that's unified, the enemy has no power. And Satan knows that. And so what he wants to do, and you can see this warning here, what he wants to do is he wants people rebellious and he wants people divided. Why do you think he works so hard at getting people upset with each other? He knows that when a church starts fighting and bickering, listen to what I'm saying, they don't realize they're doing it. They're all in the flesh and they're all worked up and now they're fighting there, there starts to be unforgiveness between them. You got this group that now sits on this side of the church, mad at this group that sits over here. This one's talking about the other. You know what happens right there? They don't realize it, but they basically just open the door to the devil and let the enemy come into the church. And I'll tell you something, you go in there and you try to pray, you go in there and you try to worship, and it's hard. Why? Because there's an oppressive spirit there. And so the last couple of things I want to talk about is this. How, does, how do demons gain entrance? Well, one of the more common ways 
is generational. So I grew up in a particular denomination, not naming this on purpose because I'm trying to be respectful, but I grew up in a Pentecostal denomination that just simply doesn't believe that Christians can need deliverance from any type of evil spirit or generational curse. I wish they were right. Wouldn't life be wonderful? But they're flat wrong, and thank God that um, we've been able to help people that really needed help. I've seen some very, very sincere Christians that love Jesus that have been tormented. And when Jesus set them free, they are so free. And so the Lord wants people free. And sometimes he's got to bypass the religious Pharisees and Sadducees and go find, uh, put his hand on a different group that will actually allow him to use them as an instrument to see them delivered because the religious Pharisees and Sadducees just won't do it. And so be careful with these pet doctrines and traditions of men. But um, anyway, there's different areas, so I'm just going to read through this. But how does the devil gain entrance in people? How is their door open? The most common for most Christians, unless they, they have spirit-filled, um, I mean righteous living parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and great-great-grandparents, that never messed around with anything they shouldn't have. Man, wouldn't that be awesome, you know? But most people can't say that. And so they usually have some areas in their life where they struggle. And I'm not saying they necessarily have a demon or not, but they just struggle. And whether it be with lust or whether it be with different things, anger or pride or whatever. But the Lord, and people say, well, it's just the flesh. Well, yes and no. Yes, it is the flesh, but sometimes it can be more than just the flesh. Sometimes it can be an iniquity drive in them and even a tormenting spirit. Are y'all hearing me? And so the Lord wants to set them free, but one of the more common ways is generationally. And let me just tell you one story, and I've got several, but if I, I have to be careful what I say because sometimes it can be people that I know and that know me. So I'm going to pick a story that... Um, would be safe to tell. Okay, so there was, uh, everybody's familiar here with Derek Prince's ministry. And one time, Brother Derek was ministering, and he was talking about generational things, and I believe he mentioned something, Freemasonry and other issues in people's families that's brought curses and spirits. And, and um, this lady came up, and she had a baby, her baby, and she came up to him. This is kind of a famous story. Anybody that's listened to a lot of his sermons have probably heard this. But this lady comes up with her baby, and she's up there, and she's wanting prayer. So Brother Derek is praying with this lady, and she said that her, her father, grandfather, whatever, was deeply involved in Freemasonry. She really wanted to repent of that, renounce it, and be free from any spiritual influence that is affecting her. And so she's there, and as he begins to pray with her, it becomes obvious that something significant is happening, and she's about to fall. And so Derek's wife reaches over and kind of takes the baby gently out of her arms, is holding the baby. Well, this lady lets out kind of a yell as a spirit left her, and she collapses on the ground. She was delivered from something that obviously came in through Freemasonry. But right after that, the little baby let out a yell and went really limp. So praise God, the little baby got delivered. But the point is this. I want you to think about this. What sin did that little baby do? See, I've seen this a lot because I've been in the, this type of ministry. I've seen this. There's, there's children, young children that are tormented by things, and they've never even done anything. I've prayed with a lot of young people that I felt something lift them and leave them, and they, they felt it too, but it came in generationally, you see. So generational entrance is a key. I'm not saying it's always a demon per se, but it can still be iniquity. It can still be bondages to things. And so the Lord wants to liberate you from anything generational that's been in your life, okay? Another door is if you've ever messed around with the worship of other gods, idolatry, and or any type of the occult, witchcraft, Ouija boards, divination, like horoscopes and different types of reading, palm reading, scrying, whatever type of reading, um, sorcery, which includes substance abuse, drugs. People don't realize this, but these type of drugs that put people in altered states are connected in the Bible from a biblical definition are connected to sorcery. Did you know that? 
That's where we get the word pharmacy from is pharmakeia in the Greek, and that's also where we get, um, you know, drugs and things like that, but it's the word translated sorcery. So um, witchcraft, divination, sorcery, necromancy, which is trying to consult the dead, all of that opens people up to demonic spirits. And I've got tons of stories about it. Uh, there was a very, there was a young lady, I would say she's probably was 18, 19 at the time, and I was just going through praying for people. I really didn't know this young lady, but when I got to her, she began to kind of manifest. I knew that God wanted to, to deliver her from a spirit, and I just felt by the discerning of spirits or whatever, I felt it was a spirit of witchcraft. And so I commanded to leave. Man, she hit the ground and something left her. And I remember that she looked at me really shocked, and she said, what was that? And I was like, well, you just got delivered from a spirit. And I felt there's a spirit of witchcraft. And I said, did you ever? And she said, yes. In high school, I messed around with witchcraft. See, she opened the door and a spirit came in. And so when she accepted Jesus, now we could close the door and kick it back out, you see. So Jesus paid for our freedom. Don't let this get you nervous. This is just us diagnosing the problem so that we can crush the devil under our feet. That's all we're doing. Also, sexual sins. I'll tell you, uh, people say, what's the most dangerous STD? Well, you know, there's a lot of physical STDs that are very dangerous, but probably one of the more dangerous aspects of sexual sins is the transference of evil spirits. So people pick up all kinds of spiritual problems through sexual contact. And, it, and unfortunately, it's not just consensual. There's people that have been raped or molested that also have spiritual problems. And it's not their fault. How many knows Jesus wants to heal the wounds and set them free? The Bible says about Jesus, he's come to bind up and heal the brokenhearted and set at liberty them that are bruised. You know what that means? Bruised is wounded. He's saying that he's come to bind up and heal those wounds and to deliver those that have been wounded. He's our healer and our deliverer. Amen? I'll tell you how you're really going to get major breakthroughs. Don't focus too much on the people that are praying with you as you are looking to Jesus. That's how you get miracles. See, the people are just vessels. But whenever somebody's ministering to you, if you've kind of got your mind that you're reaching up to Jesus, my healer, my deliverer, my savior, and he's my source, and you're giving him the glory, then power flows through that person to you. But a lot of times people don't realize it, but they're looking too much at individuals. And that can actually be a problem there. Now, I know you guys know this, but how many knows Jesus is our deliverer? Okay. So another avenue would be bloodshed. I always really grieve about these, these young ladies that, you know, are, for whatever reason feel pressured to have abortions because, I mean, they don't realize what they're doing. But any type of bloodshed that people are involved in, but all the people involved in this, the people, the doctors, the nurses, everybody involved in shedding that baby's blood are opening the door to spirits in their lives. It's dangerous. Also, trauma. This is a sad one. People go through trauma in life. They get really deeply hurt. How many people can say that at some point in their life, they can look back and say that they went through something really devastating, really traumatic. And unfortunately, spiritually speaking, it seemed to knock them off course for a while. I've had that happen myself. And so we go through traumas, and because of trauma, it can be a door for tormenting spirits. I'll give you a quick example. You know, let's say that somebody has a tragic loss of a loved one that they were not, you know, obviously it was out of the clear blue. It happens and it's a trauma in their life. If they're not careful, if they don't give that to God and pray and handle it well, they can begin to be tormented by spirits of deep depression, deep sorrow, anguish, and they go into this dark place that unless the Lord helps them back out, they may stay there. We actually know people, my wife and I know somebody right now that lost loved ones out in far East Texas area, and this lady, you remember we were talking about this, she just stays at home now kind of in a dark place and doesn't even go out anymore, ever. 
And so this is somebody that's kind of like a distant relative to us, so to speak. But this just, and it lost more than one loved one. It was like multiple people passed away, a just really dark place. But look, trauma can open people up to things. You need to be careful with that. You go through something really fearful or really scary in life. That also can open people up, if you're not careful, to spirits of fear. Um, but anyway, in Christ, let's just shut the door and drive it out. How many knows that, that that type of heavy, dark thing there with depression, you know what that is? The Bible calls it a spirit of heaviness. You know the weapon against the spirit of heaviness? What? A garment of praise. So once you start kicking this stuff out, Lord, just in Jesus' name, I bind every spirit that's been oppressing me, depression, deep sorrow, not been able to shake this thing. I command it to leave me in the name of Jesus and you begin to praise the Lord, you watch as that dark cloud begins to break open and part over your life. The rays of sun begin to come back in, and life comes back. But if you're not careful, that spirit of heaviness and depression can also start causing physical health problems, you see. Also, ungodly substances, alcohol, tobacco, drugs, people get into these things. What happens? Everybody knows what happens. They get addicted. They get in bondage. And now it's compulsory. Now they can't help it, so they say. People open the door, and now they're enslaved to it. Even though it may destroy their life, it may destroy their family, they're still in bondage to it. But if they'll surrender it to Jesus and come to him, he can set them free. How many people have been in some, one way or another been in deep, dark bondage to something that God set them free from. The people probably have no idea about this, about my testimony here per se, but I would say there was a time when I was probably around 18, end of 18, early 19, that I was just drinking all the time. I was in bondage to it. People would say it was an alcoholic, but Christ set me free. And I mean, that stuff has been gone now for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, whatever it's so there's freedom in Christ. Also, a big one is unforgiveness. That's a big door. The Apostle Paul talked about that. We just read it. If you forgive anything, I forgive. We all better forgive. He said, if we don't forgive, Satan may try to take advantage. We're not ignorant of his devices, you see. So we got to be careful with the unforgiveness. Also, our mouths. Now, this is a big one. We have got to be careful what we say. How many times have all of us got upset, angry, depressed, whatever, and what happens? It seems like as soon as that starts, it's like cranking a lawnmower up. Here it comes. We cranked up the old mouth, and here we go. And it's like speaking all this negativity and death. And, I mean, by the time we get done talking real good, we basically just spoke a curse over our entire lives, you know. And then, and then we wonder, you know, a couple weeks pass, whatever, and we wonder why everything seems to be more difficult and worse. Why? Because our mouths can open the door to the enemy. But what would it be like, even though we're really going through something, if we start deliberately stopping ourselves and saying, I'm still going to speak faith? You know, and I had to do this last couple days. Things may not go your way, but I'm deliberately saying in Jesus' name, things are still going to work out. Everything's going to come in. All this is going to be taken care of. It's going to work out smooth. In Jesus' name, everything's going to be a testimony. I had to make myself do it. But you know what? That's exactly what's going to happen. And the enemy was standing there going, waiting for me to open the door, and he has to walk away because my mouth did not open that door. I've learned that over the years. Because there's been plenty of times in the past where my mouth probably opened a lot of doors. You know, God had to help me. But, you know, we got to keep our mouths under control. What does the book of James say? James is what, like the Proverbs of the New Testament, James says, if we can guard our tongue. And he gave a description. He said, if you're not careful, and it's, it's kind of a scary, if you ever read this and really thought about it, he said, if you're not careful, your tongue can get lit by the fires of hell. He said those words. That's that compulsory to begin to speak all this stuff we shouldn't be saying. Even in our anger, we got to be careful because we can speak words, negative words, 
over our spouses or kids or whatever and really like speak that over them like a curse. And it can, it can affect them. So we need to be careful that our mouths are under godly control and that we stop ourselves. You know, First Peter 1.9, I think, I may have the reference wrong, but he said, don't repay evil for evil or, cur- or speak curses. He said, contrawise. In other words, our tendency is like clockwork. To, our tendency of the flesh is to repay negative for negative, curse for curse. But he's saying contrawise. He's saying force yourself to do the opposite and speak a blessing instead for you were called to inherit a blessing. So whenever things are going negative, you force yourself to speak positive, speak blessings, and then you will inherit a blessing. But if you go along with that current of negativity and get in the flesh, and you're in agreement with that, and you don't mean to, but maybe now your tongue is lit by the fires of hell, and you're speaking all this negative stuff, you're liable to inherit that negative stuff. But God wants us blessed, amen? All right, how do demons enter a location? Same thing. Go back and look in the history. If there is a problem there, there's a problem. I remember Tom Horn talked about this church. It was the craziest thing. He was saying that this church had paranormal activity and they had no idea why. Neighbors would call because all the lights were on. They would come up there in the middle of the night. He would find all the lights on. Everything was locked up. Pews were moved around. The piano was moved. They would, hear, they would hear noises. And he's like, what is going on? And it took them a while, but they had to go in and research. What was it that allowed something here? And as they went to the library and they began to research that land, they found before it was a church that it was a secular business. But before it was a secular business, one of the first people that ever purchased that land were people that worshiped the devil. And they had a structure there where they did satanic rituals. But see, that was, it was uh, destroyed. And now it was like secular um, business was there for years. So nobody really remembered that. And then the church bought it and built on that. And now they're still dealing with stuff. So what they had to go back and do is they had to go back to what opened the door. And they had to get that under the blood of Jesus and shut the door and command that stuff out. Also, be careful with satanic objects because things that you bring into your possession, I mean, it can be something pornographic. It can be something associated with Freemasonry or the occult or something associated with other religions, but it can really be a door. See, people don't realize that, but they can go out on a vacation somewhere to another country and they can buy something and it's connected to the religion of that area, and they don't think twice about it. They think it's just a souvenir. They bring it into their home. Next thing you know, strange things start taking place in that home that have never happened there before. Strange things in the night, maybe uh, weird dreams, or maybe now people are fat, fighting chronic sickness, and there's, there's strife in the home, and they don't know why, but they brought it in, and it opened a door. Also, you can go back and look in the area where there was there bloodshed or injustices, idolatry of the occult or sexual immorality or perversions. And this is what I want to close with is this. Be wise as serpents. So now that we know these things, let's keep the devil, all the doors shut to the devil. Because one tell me knows that it's not hard to open the door to the devil. That's easy but it can be very difficult to get that door shut all the way and to kick everything back out. How many families out there, I remember talking to an old, older preacher that was probably in his 80s, but there was a time in his life when he really backslid and got away from God. And uh, got into a lot of alcohol and stuff like that. And later on, he repented and gave his life to Christ and really started serving the Lord, went into the ministry. But the children that he raised during that time when he was backslid, they, <clears throat> they grew up and they're not really serving the Lord and their kids aren't, etc. And he told me, he was really sad. He said, you know, he said, I, he said, I still feel that I'm still reaping things from decades ago. And he said, basically that I opened the door to the devil, to my family. And he regretted it. But I'll tell you something. The power of prayer.
prayer and fasting. God can turn that thing around. I'm telling you, the prayers of the righteous make tremendous power available. And we can go before God and fast and pray, and God will hear and he will visit and he will turn that around if we'll give it to him. All right. Being wise as serpents, Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you will love your neighbor as yourself. So if we love people, we're not going to defraud them. We're not going to badmouth them. We're not going to try to hurt them. And what the Bible's saying there is if we love people, then we're basically going to treat them the way God wants us to treat them because we love them. All right, but then he goes on and gives a warning here. And he's speaking to a church. Remember that this was the church of Galatia. He's talking to a church. And he says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So this is very important. This is how I wanted to close this whole series with paranormal was with this. If we all in a church here can be under authority and we can really be unified, I believe there's nothing that God can't do. And the devil knows that. And so his greatest tactic is to try to do things to cause people to be out of order like they're coming up against their leaders or to be divided because a kingdom divided can't stand. A church divided can't stand. It's weak. And that division is a door for the enemy. And let me tell you, I'm warning people to stay away from certain types. They're all over the Internet. You know, you can see these on YouTube. There's, there's, they've got websites that their whole, if you could call it a ministry, this is what they do. I don't really call it a ministry. But their whole ministry of sorts, if you, what they call it anyway, is this. They want to, to make videos and whatever. They put together things for the sole purpose of destroying others that they don't agree with. They are Satan's Trojan horse among God's people. Think about what I'm saying. They are the fifth column of the devil. They are the ones that Satan has removed out of their hand the sword of the Spirit and replaced it with a crooked, destructive sword of criticism. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Christ has come to give abundant life. Satan has come, what, to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. These people, their so-called ministry is a satanic ministry of destruction. And I'll tell you what, you watch. They may have some videos here and there that there's some truth in them, but there's also a lot that there aren't. They, whether they mean to or not, it never fails that they seem to also get into a lot of gossip and lying. And not only that, but they are used of the devil so many times to try to turn people away from the Holy Spirit. Y'all hear what I just said? And this is a scary thing. This is what Jesus Christ said. They can, and a lot of times I say this in love, and I'm saying this with a humble heart here. But a lot of those type of people I'm talking about are very arrogant people. And they feel like they are just like so knowledgeable of God's word. But yet, even though they claim to be so knowledgeable of God's word, they speak against the Holy Spirit. You would think that if they knew God's word, they would know that Jesus said, if you speak against the Holy Spirit, you won't be forgiven in this age or the one to come. Now, that's a scary scripture. Of all the scriptures in the New Testament, would anybody argue with Pastor Scott that that's not a pretty good one, like a scary one right there? Yet that's what they do, and they try to get others to do it. They're an enemy of any revival, and it's interesting because it's almost like some kind of rite of passage. If you're going to have an anointing on your life of any kind and just simply have a ministry that goes beyond your four walls, it's, it's no doubt that those people are going to come after you at some point. It's almost like a rite of passage to go kind of through the warfare of those type of people. 
you can find out, think of any anointed ministry that's out there and start a Google search and you'll find those type of ministries, so-called ministries out there, target them. What are they trying to do? Here's what they're doing. Paul said, but if you bite and devour one another, take care at least you be consumed by one. They're trying to destroy. So I'm just warning you because I've seen people start listening to the wrong voices, start watching the wrong things, and they start changing. They get a personality change. They start getting real critical. And it just grieves me because there's many people down through the years that used to be very spirit-filled people Pentecostal people, and they no longer go to those type of churches anymore. And it's very sad that there are also many that were really touched in revival, but they've grown cold. And these type of ministries have a lot to do. People say, why is America not seeing revival? Well, there's a lot of different reasons, I'm sure. But I believe that these type of ministries are a large part of it because they've got so many people out there confused that people don't know what to believe anymore. Every time there's a move of God, there's, there's, they put out all these videos saying it's actually demons, it's satanic, stay away, blah, blah, blah. And they get everybody so confused and fearful and running away from the move of God. So just be careful. These people's ministries are satanic. It's a ministry of destruction. And there's also cult-like mentalities. i give you an example. So, man, I really love the person's testimony because they came out of a lot of darkness. I mean, they really came out of a lot of darkness. And their testimony was really powerful. But the thing is, that before they accepted Christ, they, it seemed like they just went from a cult to another cult. They were involved in the occult. But they always just gravitated toward a cult of some kind. And then they accept the Lord as their Savior and they get into the body of Christ. But sure enough, over a period of time I watched as they ended up gravitating toward like a cult in the body of Christ. And this, this particular group that they're in, I mean, listen to what I'm saying here. They really believe, and, I, and this is something I've heard this person say, they really believe things like this. They believe like if you don't eat kosher, did everybody hear what I said? That you're rebellious and therefore rebellion is as witchcraft. And so you're practicing witchcraft. I'm just telling you, I've heard the person say it. And they believe, not only that, it gets a lot more interesting than that. They believe basically that all of Christendom, but of course they're a little group, they're the ones that have all the truth. Anybody else seeing a lot of spiritual pride right there? Okay. All of Christendom is basically Babylon or Rome, pagan. And so they call it churchcraft. And they're encouraging people flee from church craft. In other words, they're telling people, get out of church. Join our little cult. And I believe that probably a lot of those people have accepted Jesus as their Savior. But they've gotten into great spiritual pride, and they've become nothing more than a little cult. And you'll notice things about little cults. They're always the ones that believe that they're the only ones going to heaven. <laughs> you ever notice that? Uh, what was it, the Jehovah's Witness? They, they believed they were the 144,000 until their membership exceeded the 144,000. Then what are they going to say, right? So they're always, there's these little cults that always believe they're, they're the way, the truth, and the life. They're the sole ones full of knowledge and wisdom, and everybody else is going to hell. I remember having this one guy. Didn't Brother Benny talk about this last time he was here? Maybe I'm feeling the, the Brother Benny anointing right now up here. But I had a guy one time trying to witness to me, and I always really like it when people witness to me because I'm thinking to myself, this is so awesome that you're talking to people about Jesus. And I always try to encourage them and tell them, keep doing it, even though some people are going to be mean to you. But this one guy come up to me where I was working. I mean, this was way back, I mean, probably like 1996 or seven, something like that. He comes up to me while I was working and started witnessing to me. I thought, man, this is awesome. He's witnessed until I found out that he put... Till I found out that, I mean, I'm not saying he's not saved, okay? But he thinks if you don't go to his church, you ain't. And I found out pretty quick, he, none of his witnessing had anything to do with me accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. 
it only had to do with me going to his church and believing exactly like him, or I was going to hell. And I was real nice for a while. But at some point in time, I had to get on him. And he left me alone after I told him what I thought about it. But that, see, that right there is not witnessing. That's just a Christianized cult. And I, and I believe that many of them have accepted Jesus. They're just deceived. But, you know, they'll probably be in heaven, a lot of them. But they're very religious. They're in bondage to religious spirits. And, and that type of witnessing is not furthering the kingdom. So be careful for cult-like mentalities. And also be very careful of unrighteous judgment, criticism, and pride. It's almost like certain people don't mean to, but there's something about them that just tends to gravitate toward cults or all of that unrighteous judgment and criticism. It's like it doesn't take a lot for them to slip into that and start doing that. Be careful with that. There's a real bondage there. I have a friend that I knew where I was growing up, and we didn't go to the same school, but we knew each other. Because growing up, I played guitar and he played drums. And I knew him when he was a heathen. And I was so excited to hear him get saved, you know. And he called me. I mean, I hadn't talked to this guy in years. He, he saw me on Facebook, messaged me. I want to talk to you. I talked to him, and he was telling me about how he uh, grew up never really knowing Jesus and all this, but he accepted the Lord. It was awesome. I was so excited until I found out that he basically did accept the Lord, but he started listening to the wrong people that were real critical of revival, real critical of, of anything spirit-filled. And, um, and I'm friends with him still on Facebook, and we're still friends. Um, I'm not so sure what he would think about the power of God coming down here, but, but we're still friends so far. But, um, man, it just made me so sad because he soured. The wrong people got a hold of him and kind of infested his, his belief system against anything spirit-filled. So be careful with all that unrighteous judgment, criticism, and pride. And also be careful for counterfeit revelation. There's a lot of that. You know, in the days of Jeremiah, it is very possible that there were all these, you understand in the days of Jeremiah that there was all these prophets prophesying? Did y'all know? And you know, it's possible that Jeremiah was the only true prophet and yet he was the one that was the only one that was telling them what they didn't want to hear. And they tried to kill him. They beat him half to death. They threw him in a cistern and left him for dead. But yet he was probably the only true prophet. And that's, of course, the way people treat the true prophet. But all the other ones were prophesying what everybody wanted to hear, and none of it was true. If you read the story, they, you know, Babylon was coming, and God said that Nebuchadnezzar was going to enslave them and take them captive. And Jeremiah was trying to tell him, it's going to go really easy on you guys if you just simply go along with this. But all the false prophets were saying, God is going to give us a great victory. We're going to defeat Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to send him running. God's going to arise and do great. And you know what? They were lying. Every one of them was wrong, but it sounded spiritual, and it sounded good, and it was what everybody wanted to hear, but it was 100% false. So be careful with counterfeit revelation. And I believe this, if we'll just be humble, if we'll be quick to forgive other people, if we'll be quick to repent when we do wrong, if we'll stay unified no matter what, even if you get mad, even if you get mad at Pastor Scott, and Pastor Scott's not perfect, okay? Let's just forgive each other. Let's just love each other. But if we'll just stay under authority and stay unified, and we'll give people the benefit of the doubts, be careful what comes out of our mouths. That last little thing I put in the notes there in big, bold print, notice it's bold. Notice that it's italicized. I probably should make it a bigger font. But if we'll be humble, quick to forgive, quick to repent, stay unified under authority, give people benefit of the doubt, and be careful what comes out of our mouths, I believe that we're going to keep doors shut to the devil. 
And I know you feel this way too, but I want every door shut to the devil, but I want to be wide open to a move of God. And I believe God's got great things. And I've been talking in this series on paranormal, and I know that there's probably people that are listening to this that maybe are not necessarily Pentecostal and all that. And, but let me just encourage you that we're living in the last days that the Bible says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And they would be great signs and wonders. He said that they would be old men dreaming dreams, young men having visions. So there'd be dreams and visions. And there's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in these last days. And the Bible says in Matthew 13, 39, the end of the age is the harvest. We're going to see a great harvest. So let me just encourage you that you may see some things in the days to come in revival where you see people shake, shake and fall to the ground, cry or laugh. You see the power of God. You see different things going on that you don't understand. Let me just encourage you to not just quickly write that off because the Holy Spirit is moving. And you need to be closed to anything demonic. And I realize that there's things out there that are demonic. But don't close yourself off to everything that's supernatural because if you do, you're going to close yourself off to God because God's supernatural. So you need to balance out being closed to the devil, testing the spirits, but you need to be wide open to the move of God and what God wants to do in your life. Where would my life be today if God didn't visit my life and touch my life in such a powerful way? I know I wouldn't be here right now talking to you like I am. So be open to that. Be open to the move of the Spirit, okay? And so we're going to pray as we close this out, and then I want to pray for those that are here and just believe for a fresh move of God. So, Lord, I just thank you as we're closing out this series. I thank you for hearing and answering the prayers over this series. I thank you, Lord, for moving mightily upon the listeners. And, Lord, I thank you for giving us grace and wisdom to shut every door to the devil but see a great move of God in our lives and in our families. But we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. All right, let's go ahead and shut down recordings and put on some worship for me.